0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th.
1: Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekul. He is Paul Tenorio. And today, Paul, the show is brought to you by TLC Reality Mega Hit Extreme Couponing. One of my favorite shows of all time. Did you like it? Classic. It's a classic. Just, you know, they're getting out the scissors, they're cutting... They're going to the store. They're getting two carts worth of stuff and somehow the store is paying them to take it away. It's, it's remarkable. Um, everyone should watch it. Anyway, we have a lot to talk about on this show. We're going to cover some ground that we covered last week with Miami. Um, many of you listening to this podcast probably know that the two of us put out a story on the topic on Wednesday at the athletic. Just kind of diving into the whole cheating mess and Jorge Moss was kind enough to speak to Paul on the record. Um, And there were some pretty interesting quotes from him that we're going to dive into. Um, and we're also going to talk about the U.S. national team, the U.S. men's national team. They obviously had quite the week winning the CONCACAF Nations League against Mexico in extremely dramatic and entertaining fashion and then handling Costa Rica with quite a good deal of ease on Wednesday night in Salt Lake. Uh, 4-0 win there. 4-0? I, I, yeah, everything's a blur good. in my life. It was 4-0, right? Okay, I just had a moment of panic or I thought it was 3-0 and I miss misspoke, but I didn't. Thank God. Um, so, we'll talk a little bit about that later on in the show. But like I said, starting with Miami, we obviously published this story on Wednesday, which basically outlined what Miami did uh, it outlined other ways that other MLS teams have broken or bent the rules in the past. And it sort of dove into what this means for the league. And we covered a lot of that ground on on last week's show, so I don't want to do too much repeat. But there is some new, way, new, new things that we need to discuss around this story. So, Paul, I'll, I'll toss it to you here. What, I guess, is your biggest takeaway from what you spoke with Jorge Mas about, Miami owner Jorge Mas, and what we were able to kind of report out and and write in that piece.
2: Yeah, well, I think there were kind of two main things to take away from the piece. The first was that there are levels and layers of cheating that occur in Major League Soccer, of working around the roster rules, of operating the gray zone, however you want to call it. And, you know, the question is basically, Does one form of cheating matter more than the other? You know, there, is there cheating and then there's cheating or is it all cheating, if that makes sense? And I think what, you know, I think that's a decision or a problem that Major League Soccer is going to have to solve. You know, are they going to go after teams who are shaving off $100,000 here or $100,000 there every couple years that are saving? You know, five hundred thousand dollars, but with a side payment in one year, just to keep a guy tam eligible for you know a a contract. You know, those are those are things that are occurring around the league, and you know certainly are not at the scale of Miami in the sense of what Matuidi was getting paid. Um,
1: Which, by the way, Jorge Mas revealed that, and he said it's between thirteen and fourteen million over a two and a half year contract. Which, if it's thirteen, it would be five point two million a year if it's 14 it would be 5.6 million a year. Either way, I think either total would make him the fourth highest paid player in MLS this season, which for what they're getting out of him is is not so great, but that's a different subject. Sorry to interrupt.
2: Yeah, so I I think there's that that first idea is like what is cheating, what is not cheating, is it all cheating? And 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 that's kind of a, I think a kind of an a existential question that Major League Soccer is going to face coming out of this Miami investigation. How deep do they really want to look? Do they care enough, um, to try to find everything? And can they find everything? And then the second part mm-hmm. of it is, if you determine that there's no real way to know, if there's no real way to be able to tell if there are side contracts happening on agent fees across the league, on transfer fees across the league and other ways that you have to hide money, then, you know, is it time to rethink uh, how these rules are designed? Not because You know, you need to quadruple the amount of spending in the league. No, we talked about this last episode. There are ways to change how you spend or the restrictions on the spending that don't drastically change how much teams are spending, but don't have so many limitations that teams are having to find workarounds to fit into the specific buckets of money. You know, if if Miami had the exact same pot of money to work with, but they didn't have to worry about... 1.6125 1.6125 million for Tam, then there might not have been some of the problems there were, you know, w- in regards to cap hits. And, you know, that doesn't get into the Matweedy thing because I think DPs will probably always exist in some form or another for Major League Soccer. Um, well, th- there are ways that they wouldn't have to exist, but we'll get into that later. But I think, you know, the idea is like by creating all these very specific buckets of money, targeted allocation money, uh, under 22 initiative, um, you know, even when you get down to kind of the supplemental rosters, it just makes things complicated and it, and it creates different areas for these teams to cheat. And maybe the best path forward for the league to truly compete with Mexico, its regional rival and with its global rivals for television rights. Um, you know, they, they need to, to rethink the entire structure. And, and that for me was the big takeaway from the piece. And Sam, before I throw it back over to you, I think what stood out most from the story obviously was what Jorge Ma said to us. And said to me, which is essentially, you know, yes, he said out loud what many, 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 many people say to us behind the scenes, which is there is a faction of owners yeah. that do not want to spend more money, that do not want spending to go up drastically, that do not want things to change dramatically from where they are. And he does. And there are owners that do. And and that – what's crazy to me, Sam, is – and maybe you'll agree, maybe you'll disagree. I think there are – I think there's a faction of people in the league who are going to be more angry that Jorge Mas spoke that truth out loud than they are about the cheating that he
1: did with his roster. (laughs) I don't think there's any doubt about that. And let me just read the quote in question here in full. So here's what Mas said. It's no secret that there are a segment of owners in the league that do not want to spend money, that are okay with the status quo, that are very happy with their financial situation and circumstances because they invested in the league X amount of years ago, and it's just a cash cow. They're clipping coupons and life is good. That's not why we got into this. We got into this for very different reasons. That is a badass quote. I love that quote. He said the quiet part out loud, right? And no one really, to my recollection, certainly not on an ownership level, has ever done that. And I don't... I mean, Paul... Have you do you remember any even a GM putting their name to that? Maybe we've seen coaches do it in the past. Maybe Bruce Arena has done it at some point or another. That wouldn't shock me. But I I can't remember an occasion of anyone going this far on the record. No, and uh, I think in a position of power in MLS.
2: Yeah, I would agree with that same and I think the reason why is what well, we saw it. We saw the reaction of Don Garber when Hercules Gomez asked him about that quote. And and what Don Garber's response was yeah. was well you know, maybe some of these new owners need media training and if they had media training I wouldn't have to answer a question like this. You know, it goes back yeah, to that And I- he said
1: it he said it with a chuckle, but you know, yeah. he wasn't really kidding.
2: <laughs> right. I mean, it go, you know, I, I think that there have been moments in this league where, where people have kind of towed the line to, 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 you know, kind of like we talk about the rules, like they want to say the truth, but they can't really say the truth. And I, I keep thinking yeah. back to an interview I did back in 2018, I think it was, um, where I, where I first wrote about these factions of owners that are ha- developing behind the scenes. And I spoke with DC United owner Steve Kaplan at the time and, and he had a quote about, you know, wanting to go out there and spend, spend money. And, and that's the way to push this league forward is, is to kind of, you know, to, to, to put it all out on the table and, and go and be aggressive. And that's not at all what DC United has done since then. And I think part of the reason why is no, quite because the opposite. When people say that stuff out loud, they very quickly get pulled and reined in, I think. And you can see from Don Garber's reaction yesterday. I mean, Jorge Mas is not going to be, you know, a favored Person In this league, not by Don Garber, not by people at the Board of Governors table. And, you know, part of me is thinking, you know, he already was kind of the bad guy, right, for this cheating scandal. And maybe he just needs to embrace it. You know, maybe Jorge Mas is the Jerry Jones of Major League Soccer. Maybe he's the rogue owner, the brash owner, who finally is the guy who stands up and says, somebody has to lead this other faction of owners to force change. And I'm gonna be that guy, and I don't care whether you like it or not. And to a certain degree, let's not forget, you know, he's he's one of Don Garber's bosses, you know, and he does there are yeah. owners that that feel the same way as him. And some but no one's willing to take that bullet. No one's willing to be that guy, to be persona non grata, to you know, carry the negativity of the other owners who don't like you, those that other faction that doesn't want to spend as much, doesn't want to change as much. And I just wonder, man, you know, I think the best comparison is Jerry Jones. I, he's done that in the NFL and he's kind of compiled power by
1: doing so. Well, he's the he's the shadow commissioner, right? Jerry Jones. And he goes about it in his own way, but he's the most powerful person probably in that sport, I would say, in, in, in that league. And that's a really impressive position to hold, right? I don't know that Moss is going to be that, but, you know, maybe he's... It, Maybe he's the villain we need or the hero we need. I don't know. It depends on your perspective, right? And, and I do want to say, cause people have been coming at us a little bit about this. Like, yeah, it's, of course he's saying this now. His team just got busted, right? So he's going to say, well, we broke the rules. Sure. But they're bad rules. And of course he says that now after the fact. Well, he was never going to say it before because, you know, he didn't want to get caught probably, but, <laughs> but I think regardless of what Miami did, like, the point is really valid that he's making, his, right? His actions like, The point show is super valid. His actions show that he and, believes and, it. And like, this, this is exciting to me for a number of reasons, but one of which is like what I said already, he's saying the quiet part out loud and other owners feel this, not a ton, but other owners no doubt feel this and maybe he can pull them along with him and maybe this can accelerate the process that we're all talking about. But this is what sports are supposed to be about, man. It's competition, right? And it's being ambitious and it's trying to drive it forward. And in American soccer, it's more than just competition, right? It's trying to grow, right? And that's where it's different than the NFL, for instance, right? They're trying to grow, but they're the big dog. They're the top American football league in the world. MLS is trying to draw in more people and become better on the field and all of that stuff. And they're in a race against... Mexico and Europe and everybody else. And Moss wants to run faster in that race, right? And other people don't. And I I just don't really get it anymore, man. Like, I, we can sit here and say, oh, they need to increase spending. If you increase spending marginally on players, I'm not sure it makes a huge difference in terms of pulling in fans. I don't really think it does. Um, but you can at least get rid of these buckets, right you can make it more efficient you can take logical steps while you know maybe making some slight increases that set the table for more rapid growth in the future there's no reason why the league needs to have all of these different categorizations anymore you can't tell me there's a reason for it like the the teams are savvy enough the executives are savvy enough let them sink or swim on their own it's their asses that are on the line they're the ones that are getting fired and hired and it's their jobs. It's their livelihoods. Let them build their teams how they want to. You know, say if you want to put a cap on how much everyone can spend, that's fine. Right? I would encourage MLS to to maybe make that cap a little higher or maybe do a soft cap with a luxury tax, whatever. You can do it a million different ways, right? But let the teams build more along the lines of how they want to. Get rid of these buckets. Let them be a little bit more free and let them push. They want to push it forward more than they're allowed to. Let them. How hard is that?
2: Yeah. I mean, Sam, here's the hard part for me is like you and I both read that quote and looked at that quote and said, yeah, this has to go into the story for obvious reasons. But also because what he's saying is, you know, that he's shining a light on a conversation and a debate that has been a massive factor for this league. In the last few years. No, and this
1: is, this is the debate. This is the debate. It's the argument. We talk about it every CBA. The real debate isn't between the players and the owners. It's between the owners and the owners. Right. And the different factions in that group.
2: And and that's why it's so significant. But what worries me, Sam, when I when I saw Don Garber's reaction yesterday, and understandably, like, I'm sure he was a little bit caught off guard about it and all of that, but like, I don't know, man. If I'm a betting man, I, I feel like there's a better odds that Jorge Mas gets, you know, his hand slapped again. His wrist slapped again. Another fine. Another punishment. And he's the latest owner who gets shuffled in the line, told to toe the company line, given, you know, given cue cards whenever he does an interview to tell us what here's what you should say today, Jorge. Here's here's what
1: I don't see that from him. Say. Man, I don't see it from him. I don't know, man. I, like I, I, I remember. I remember, and I maybe we should have put this in the story. I just thought about it today. I, there was an, a, a season kickoff event last year ahead of the 2020 season before the pandemic when we were still getting together in person for these sorts of things. And it was here in New York City and I was able to attend. And they had a number of different owners speak and Jorge Moss was one of the owners. And so they had him up on stage in this five-star hotel high above Central Park. And he was talking all sorts of smack about how, yeah, MLS is going to be a top, five league or top 3 league whatever he said within like 10 years right and i'm i'm sitting there in the audience and i'm like i can't even believe this guy like is he serious right now like i was like almost getting offended cuz they had just agreed on the cba and spending barely went up and and i'm like you talk this big game but but the league isn't putting your money where your mouth is? I, I don't know how to phrase that analogy, but you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> and and maybe Moss has been pushing behind the scenes this whole time, right? And like, he's clearly pushing now, it, not behind the scenes, in front of the scenes. Um, in front of the... That's not an expression. I'm all over the place. Point is, he was talking all kinds of crap, even before Miami played their first game. And I think he's going to – this seems like who he is. I don't think – I hope he doesn't rein it in. But if he gets fine and he doesn't want to keep paying money, then I understand if he if he maybe picks his spots going
2: forward. Yeah. And I think also, like, we have to acknowledge that, like, now today or yesterday or whatever day it was that we talked – let's see, the, the, what's today? Thursday. The story ran yesterday. So we talked Tuesday. You You're know, prob- listening
1: to this on Friday or Saturday.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Probably not the best day. Earlier this week. (laughs) (laughs) Probably not the best day to deliver the message, right? Because he is the owner who just got fined a quarter of a million dollars for cheating. He is, you know. Yeah, maybe it would resonate
1: more if he was squeaky clean.
2: He is the owner who's going on the record talking about how he had no knowledge of things when he got fined and like the league spelled out in the press release that like he was getting fined and other owners weren't like, it's just hard for that message to get through um, and hit the way maybe it would have hit if he talked about it six months from now or something like that. But that doesn't change the fact that the message isn't wrong. And like, that was the interesting part of writing this story is like, how do you write a story about both a scandal in which a team kind of blatantly broke rules while also writing about the fact that these rules are Broken often in different ways, maybe not you know in as extreme, but you know certainly Pe- people uh, aren't people uh, aren't hiding
1: four million dollars of salary most right. of the different, time.
2: <laughs> different levels, different levels of cheating, and then the third part is, you know, what does this mean for the league? Like, how do you move forward? And in speaking to the sources with knowledge, you know, it seems like the league is kind of saying, no, it's not really that big of a problem. Uh, Don Garber's quote in the press release was that the rules are sacrosanct and it certainly cast this in the light of Miami is an isolated issue. This doesn't happen. Their response to our questions about Ibrahimovic and Pavone were like, we approved those deals. We saw everything we needed to see. Those, those deals are above board. You know, as we wrote in the piece, they also approved the Matweedy deal until somebody alerted to them to look into it deeper. And so, you know, there are all these different layers of this quote from Moss that are, you know, we're all wrapped into the same story. But it I just think like, for me, what I hope doesn't get lost is how important it was that he was willing to say that out loud. And the next phase of that is, will that change? You know, kind of who is going to, it's the same question we've been asking for two or three years now Sam. You know, since I wrote that first piece in 2018, which was already a couple years after the battles had started behind the scenes, is who's going to win this war behind the scenes? Who has more support? Who, huh. who has more of the power? We know who's had the power historically and 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 is this going to start to change things or is it going to reinforce the power of the other faction of owners?
1: Well, I think that Moss answered that question and I agree with his answer that the inertia and the growth of MLS will bring about these changes eventually, right? You look at the ownership groups that are entering the league. You look at the amount of money that they're paying to enter the league. You think David Tepper is going to be cool just like spending eight, nine million on his roster after he bought into MLS for 325 million. You think the Wilfs are going to want to do that? Like after buying Orlando City for 400 or 450 or whatever they're going to buy it for. Right. Whoever buys RSL for 400 or 300 or whatever it's going to go for. You think they're going to want to just sit back and spend eight, nine million? No. They're going to, these people want to push. You know, like these people want to push. And it's the same thing with the new ownership groups, right? Atlanta, Miami, LAFC, right? We've seen it in the past with some of the other ones that have been around for a longer time, like the Galaxy, like Toronto, maybe New York City FC, right? So, I mean, shoot, even Cincinnati, man like these teams that are spending hundreds of millions of dollars just to get in the door, right? Before they put any shovels in the ground on the stadium, before they build out a front office, before they sign a single player. They're not going to they're not in this to to just like kind of like break even and watch their franchise value go up. They seem more ambitious than that, right? And so I think MLS is headed in that direction. For me it's a question of how fast and what's the rate, right? And I think if Moss has his way, it will speed up, right? But you have people on the other end, powerful people like the Hunts in Dallas, right? Like Greg Kerfoot in Vancouver, who, you know, Clark Hunt and Greg Kerfoot are the co-chairs of the Product Strategy Committee, which is like the MLS Star Chamber. That is the, that is the committee that controls all of the important things in the league in terms of how much is spent and what the designations are and all of that stuff. And and they're more conservative in terms of how they want things to proceed. And that plays a large role in governing the league. And I mean, I don't know, like maybe you can get some bodies from the aggressive group. It's just going to be like behind the scenes power plays, man. And the other interesting thing about this, that in my opinion, doesn't really get talked up about like ever and we should talk about this more. We talk about it sometimes, not really publicly, but here we go. Um, MLS, this whole system was designed by Mark Abbott, by Todd Durbin, right? In part by Don Garber, but, you know, he... And, and those three people, I would say, are the Sunil three most Galati. important people at the league office. Sunil and Galati. But three of those four, right, Garber, Abbott, and Durbin, they've... Been at MLS for 20 plus years, right? I think Abbott and Durbin have been around since the very, very beginning, right? And this is their baby in some ways, right? And like they have a lot of power and they have a lot of control. And the more freedom given to teams, maybe the less control that they have, right? And just from like an organizational level, from like a psychological level, I think that stuff's kind of interesting when you're talking about leadership that's been around for as long as they have um, and whether or not, you know, that type of tenure, that length of tenure is, I don't know, accepting to change, if that makes sense, or if they're resistant to it. Um, And so, all this stuff, I mean, there's a lot of layers to these things, man. Um, But I do, I mean, eventually, I think there will be a critical mass of owners that push it forward.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think there's, you know, going into that idea of leadership and change of leadership. I mean, there are a lot of different theories about that. You can read books about, you know, people have theories that major corporations should be changing out their CEO after, you know, no more than eight years or eight something, years. You know, yeah. And the C-suite changeover should occur so that you bring in new ideas and new perspectives. But I think soccer in this country is incredibly different and incredibly not different from, MLS, yeah, and there different are plenty from of corporations in that it's the opposite of that because it's such a niche sport and has been in this country the same people have been involved in so many of the key areas of growth of development in this sport and i think feel a real ownership of that understandably so because it's not been easy yeah right it's not been easy no. to build a league that's sustainable both on the men's
1: and the women's side right like it's really and, and by the way if I could just cut you off for a second, you know we give these people a lot of grief. I think on the show and sometimes in writing, but they shepherded, they they built something from nothing, and it looked like it was going to die pretty early on. And they've built it into a real league, right? And they deserve credit for that. I'm not trying to take that away from anyone. Well, I think just Don Garber
2: is. I think Don Garber is one of the most important people in the history of soccer in this country. I think Sunil Gladi is too. People don't like to hear that yeah, because zero, they become zero kind doubt. Of they become the boogeyman right they become the boogeyman of of soccer twitter which is to me the boogeyman of my life soccer twitter but like
1: it's going to get you
2: realistically you know yeah of course they 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 are really 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 important people and and their ideas and their expertise in something that's you know that there aren't a ton of people who are experts in is important but that doesn't mean that they that things that their ideas can't be improved upon or that there aren't other people who can bring in new ideas. And we talk about this, too, kind of on a more granular level of like some of the transparency that's occurred in other sports in this country. You know, specifically, I'm thinking of Major League Baseball have drastically changed how people see the sport. Right. And the people, who, you know, the 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 statisticians and, and data analysts who were at home playing fantasy baseball, changed the way the game operated, the way teams built rosters, the way value yeah. was placed on different skills. And that only happened because those new ideas were allowed in the door through transparency. And that hasn't happened in soccer. And it doesn't happen in soccer very often. It's really hard to break into that group. And I would even point to Don Garber as an example of that. He was hired from the NFL and there were a lot of skeptics. He didn't know anything about soccer. And there's a lesson to be had in that. You know, if you you really think about what should be next for Major League Soccer after Don Garber, I think there's a real question over whether the next commissioner of Major League Soccer should come from a soccer background, should come from within the major league soccer ecosystem, or whether it should be somebody with an outside perspective. Um hmm. I don't think, I'm, and I'm not talking about an outside perspective as far as global soccer. I'm talking about an outside perspective as far as like more of a corporate background and, and not necessarily not without a soccer background. I think that's probably a pretty important thing to have. I'm just saying that hasn't come from the kind of, you know, cabal of American soccer bureaucracy and and that have just been around forever that that there's there's a value in having some outside ideas i don't know i mean you know maybe we should just put bruce arena in charge of everything and 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 that went well the last time somebody said that yes so yes (laughs) there we go
1: but i I, I just (laughs) Uh, feel like
2: to loop back around sam i I just want to say one more thing is just that going back to the question about jorge mas and and the change that he wants and the people who support it and the guys like Arthur Blank who, who want to spend more. And if you gave Arthur Blank two more DP spots, he would go out and spend money on those two more DP spots. He would, you know, but I just wonder whether or not, you know, those guys will get on board with Jorge Mas right now. And I, I, that's why the timing of the comments is, is not great because I wonder whether it hurts the cause a little bit, um, behind the scenes more than helps it. Even though yeah, it's maybe. now finally out in um, public,
1: I mean, I think now is that you got to strike while the iron's hot, right? And the iron is sort of hot right now. Um, but it's hot for Miami in a different way, as you just mentioned. I do want to get back to what you said about like the next commissioner, right? And I think it doesn't matter to me if it comes from outside of the sport or within the sport or within the eco- ecosystem or without or from outside. I think the thing that really matters to me is that soccer is the soccer is put first, right? And I think for a long time, maybe for all of MLS history, that has not been the case. And I think what we've seen from Moss is he's putting the sporting enterprise first to the point where he went way too far and they cheated. (laughs) And by the way, it didn't exactly work for Miami. (laughs) We've seen that with their results, right? Um, so I'm not saying it's it's like a fail-safe or anything like that. But when you compare Moss's comments, right? And he said some stuff about Leo Messi to you and wanting to sign Leo Messi and some stuff about like just like the ambition. It's not about, oh, like, we want to increase our franchise valuation. No, it's like we want to put a good team and an exciting team that people will get excited about onto the field. Right? And like I feel like too often what the league does isn't – that's not the lens that it's run through. And maybe that's unfair, but that's that's like the assessment that I have.
2: I don't know, man. I don't disagree with you. And I think Don Garber's comments yesterday kind of show that. He said, I can't look around the board of governors table and say that anyone's not trying to drive value for their customers. Or maybe he said for their fans. I mean –
1: like, he's he's covering for his bosses,
2: but right? drive value—that's value, false. Like, but drive value <laughs> is a really a, a workaround to the the baseline is to like do the most that they can to win and to spend and to you know driving value means to get the most that they can get out of what they want to spend, you know, and yeah. that's that's what MLS really is. They they are trying to drive value. They are trying to do it in their little constraints of what they want to spend and you know, they don't need to be pushed out of that comfort zone because they're trying to find a way to make that work for their fan base. And, and you know, I, I think that, you know, I, I think that it is going to come down to, at some point, a, a reality check ahead of 2026 of where do they want this league to be? And and here's the thing, we keep, I think there's part of this that's just continual short-term thinking. of Where do we really want to be in two years, five years, and it's not really about what can MLS be in 25 years, you know, and what's the path mm-hmm. that MLS needs to go on to be where it needs to be in its next 25 years. We know where it is now in its first 25 years. These roster rules helped them get here. Can these roster rules get them to where they want to be in 25 years? I don't know that the answer is yes, and I don't think they know that the answer is yes either. And then, so what frustrates no, me is I don't think that they'd they haven't have to do. studied it. I don't it. think
1: they would claim. I don't think they would claim that, how can you predict 25 years out? You can't. But you can have ideas of what you want to be
2: and then start to study what's the best way to get there. And I, and, and, and again, when I was speaking for this story with, with, you know, with different sources that had a, had an understanding of some of the conversations that are happening in the league, it was very clear that there right, right now is not a real belief that anything needs to change. And in fact, People point to the U22 initiative and TAM and say, these have been brilliant ideas and these are ch- ch- drastically changing the league. And in some ways, yes, of course they've drastically changed the league because they've added money into the pot. But, you know, there's no concern over whether those ways of adding money into the pot, these really restricted, it's in the name, targeted types of spend that are decided by the non-soccer people that are decided by you know, the the kind of corporate side as much as they are from the soccer side are the right way to spend and that, hey, maybe just giving teams money and giving teams the same amount of money actually, but more freedom in how they spend it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. And, you know, I just don't know that they're even caring to glance in that direction.
1: Yeah, I don't think they are, you know, but we can talk a little bit more about this after the break but we'll, we'll take a quick break and then we'll be right back
0: looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu.
1: Welcome back. I am Sam, he is Paul. We're still talking a little bit about Miami. We're talking about MLS power dynamics. And, And Paul, one of the things that I get excited about about this story. This is something, we've been banging the drum on this stuff for as long as I can remember. <laughs> feels like decades. It hasn't been decades, but it feels like decades. And one of the things that excites me is that Jorge Mas brought this out in a way that will get other people talking about it. In a mo- Maybe in a more meaningful way, maybe in more meaningful circles than this little one that we have here on the show. Um, you know, we we did talk about that. You know, it's unlikely to change anything at the league level. But do you think that this will get owners talking? Do do you think this will get owners thinking, in their deepest, darkest recesses of their brains, like, hey, is it time for a reset? No, you don't. None. I, no. I, Some. I, I think I think it will
2: get owners talking and thinking about what Jorge Mas said, not what Jorge Mas said, like the fact that he said it. Out loud to me. Yeah. Is more what the conversation is going to be behind the scenes than the contents of what he said and whether it has merit. And that's the, the sad part to me is that, you know, there is a chance for examination right now. And it's not Jorge Mas's comments that should be causing the examination. It's, it's MLS having to confront the fact that people operate outside of its rules publicly like they had to confront that publicly. I guess they didn't have to, but they did. And so now you have this opportunity, this excuse to really dig in, to see how teams are operating, to ask how teams think these rules work and don't work, to see to to say listen, let's talk about some of these workarounds that teams are using and figure out why they're doing it and whether you know those are signs that those rules and those specific restrictions maybe shouldn't exist or should be significantly relaxed. So you don't have to cheat the rules if there are enough owners already doing it. And instead I do think I, I just have such little faith in the kind of strength of the newer guard. And the actually, I guess I should say I have a significant amount of strength in, uh, believe in the strength of the old guard and the support that they have from the, the, from Don Garber, from the commissioner's office that the, bigger reaction is going to be to what Jorge Mas said than to what he was actually – the message he was actually trying to deliver. Or that he said it to me, not the message he was trying to deliver. What about you?
1: Yeah, I hear that. I, no, I, I hear what you're saying. I think that's probably most likely. Um, but I do wonder if this emboldens anyone. You know, if they see this and say – and they, they, they catch a little inspiration maybe and they're like, Hey, you know what? Jorge is right. He cheated, but he's right, and we need to talk about this, right? So, uh, I don't know. Maybe that happens, right? Maybe someone, maybe someone that hasn't been in those ha- having those conversations before maybe steps up to the plate and changes and this this drags them out. Who's going to get going?
2: Who's going to say, Farron Soriano never talks to the American media." Red Bull never talks to American media. No, I'm rarely. not I'm not
1: talking about I'm not talking about talking to us. I'm talking about doing this to the league, right? And forming a real coalition of owners. Maybe. Right? And trying to push this forward and standing up in those board of governors meetings that they're probably going to have at the All-Star game, which is coming up at the end of July against the Liga MX All- All-Star team or a Liga MX team, I should say. Um you know, so may, so maybe it happens there. And and if you're gonna make me pick a candidate, I'm gonna go back to the man who was on stage with Jorge Mas at that New York event and saying, not going quite as far as Mas was, but saying similar things that Mas said at that event. And that was Larry Berg, who's in charge of LAFC, one of many owners, but he, he's the managing partner. And you know, I I would imagine that he would probably be next in line in many ways. You know, I don't know how involved Arthur Blank is in this stuff. I don't think he is very much, but maybe he empowers Darren Eels to go out and do some of this stuff, right? So they, they can I mean, China. I think there are some candidates, and, and and dude, like David Tepper, like this is this is public. Like it's been written about. David Tepper literally has a set of brass balls on his desk. <laughs> like that is like the kind of man that David Tepper is. You think he's going to be quiet in these meetings? No. I, I don't think he's going to be quiet, but I don't know for a fact that David Tepper is going to be Arthur Blank
2: or Larry Berg or Jorge Mas. I don't know. I've heard whispers that he they may not be a big spending team, even though he's the you know among the richest owners in the league, uh, both in the NFL. I think and MLM, he is so the richest. I, I think yeah, I think yeah. he is. And 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 outside
1: of outside of the chic, yeah. Let's wait let's and see, see right?
2: But like I do think, yeah. you know, in our reporting, um because we've reported stories that we haven't written yet, but we've we've kind of dug into um the the backroom discussions that exist among owners in Major League Soccer. Um you know, there are owners that we don't hear from or representatives for those owners that we don't hear from that are pushing for change behind the scenes. And you know, who do try to drive change and strategy, you know, in For example, the product strategy meetings and at the board of governor meetings. And so, yeah, do I think that somebody like Farron Soriano can say, hey, man, like we're going to try to build a stadium in New York soon. We we're we're the biggest club in Europe, the highest spending club in Europe. Like let's let's really push the change so we can take advantage of being in the American market and we can turn New York into a market that matters for Major League Soccer. Yeah, maybe he maybe he does that. Maybe NYCFC starts to really push, you know. I think Darren Eels and, and Arthur Blank played a big role in changing the, the transfer fees, the, the, the decision around transfer fees of how much of a percentage major leagues, major league soccer took after they sold Miguel on right. their own. So those changes, those, those owners can drive change. We've seen it. Um, I, I hope they do, but in the, sh- in the short term, for sure, the next few BOG meetings, I just, I, and I've covered the league. I did the math the other day. I was talking to somebody. It's crazy to me, but I've been covering the league in some form or another for 14 years, which is just insane. And to me, cause I don't <laughs> feel that old, but like I feel like I just don't have any faith that, that like they'll, they'll, they'll win these battles. And I think more, like I said, I think more attention will be paid, um, erroneously will be paid to the fact that he talked rather than what he was talking about and whether it's valid.
1: Well, I think history is on your side, but maybe this is the turning point. Who knows, right? If there ever is a turning point, we're not going to necessarily know it when the tide is turning. (laughs) So maybe we'll look back on this one and this will be it. But you're probably right.
2: I I want to throw a question your way because I kind of was interested to see what the reaction was (laughs) going to be to our story. (laughs) Hey, Lyle. Um... I I, I was, I was interested to see what the reaction would be to our story. And I think one thing that surprised me, considering so much of our story was written about, um, you know, Miami, you know, cheating the rules and breaking the rules and getting punished was that there, there was a strong reaction from kind of our little world, the universe of MLS diehard fans, big MLS fans that were like, yes. I'm so glad that he's saying this out loud. I'm so glad that somebody is saying the league needs to change. There was like I, there was a lot of Jorge Mas as the anti-hero as like the 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 Robin Hood, I don't know if Robin Hood works, but you know what I'm saying? Like a bad guy fighting <laughs> the good fight, you know? And like that okay, yeah, yeah, we we might be mad that he broke the rules. We might not be condoning his, you know, what happened in Miami, but we support Jorge Mas. And and I actually felt like it was more of a positive reaction to Jorge Mas coming off of our story than a negative one because people want somebody to
1: take up this fight. Yeah, 100%. And I think that should be a lesson to all owners that if you talk to me and Paul, you'll come across looking better <laughs> than you did before. <laughs> Definitely. And with that, I think, I think we'll take another break there. We'll come back and talk some national team.
3: So get Timeless Looks with Modern Comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code T-S-S. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code T-S-S to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode.
1: And we're back on Allocation Disorder. We'll spare you. No more Miami talk. I know, you've heard it for the last two hours pretty much of this podcast. Um, We are going to talk a little bit about the national team. It was a successful camp, to say the least. A 2-1 lost at Switzerland in the opening game in a friendly, was followed by a dicey and not so encouraging 1-0 win against Honduras in the CONCACAF Nations League semifinal. Which was then followed by a classic, an instant classic 3-2 win in extra time against Mexico in the Nations League final. And then a comparatively easy 4-0 win against Costa Rica in one final friendly to wrap camp. So this is, this is the last time we're going to see the A team together until World Cup qualifying starts in September. The Gold Cup is in July. That will be, you know, a pretty rotated squad. Probably a lot of MLS guys on that one. Um, But Paul, when you look back at this camp, what are your big overarching takeaways?
2: I think mainly that this team finally had a chance to really be tested and that they passed. It was important for me to see whether or not they knew how to kind of meet the expectations and they're, they're getting these, these expectations in two different ways on their shoulders. The first is they have to carry the failure of the 2018 World Cup qualifying squad, right? There's a huge amount of negativity on USMNT Twitter. It's overwhelming. Okay. And they have to carry that. And then on the flip side of that, they have the expectations over their own abilities. Are they a golden generation? Are they the next big thing? Do they, are these guys the, the, the team that's going to actually make the US compete? at the World Cup, especially in 2026 when the U.S. hosts. And, and this was their first real test together against Mexico in a final with something on the line, and, and they they fought back. It wasn't pretty, and, you know, they didn't play their best soccer throughout the game, but I thought that they bounced back from a really poor first half. They fought back from two deficits. They found a way to win the game. All of that's going to matter in conquer Calf qualifying. Because if you go back and look at the cycles, there aren't a lot of pretty wins. There aren't a lot of easy victories. It's a lot of this, and they needed to do it. So that to me was my biggest impression. Sam, did, was there anything else to you that stood out as something that, that really kind of caught your eye or that mattered most out of this window?
1: No, that was the biggest thing. I mean, they're a team now, right? They're a team now and and they liked each other before and we all heard about the bromances with Pulisic and McKenney and Adams and some of the other guys, right? And they grew up playing together, but this was a young group of players who had not been in a, in a big game together before, ever, right? And now they have. And you go through that and you're different than you were beforehand. And they're different now. And they're more of a team now. And that's that's the big thing that I took away from this is before it was like they were kind of searching for something. They were trying to grab something that they could never grab because the stakes were never high enough, right? And then the stakes were finally high enough and they got thrown into this crucible and the and, and it was hotter than anyone could have imagined, right? That game was insane on a million different levels in ways that were controlled on the field, in ways that were not controlled on the field and not even taking place on the field in some of those instances. But you know they're a team now and they it feels different like it, it felt different talking to them afterward even in the days afterward there's just it's it's just it's hard to to put your finger on it it's kind of hard to describe um but they've been through something together and there's no real way to to manufacture that right um it has to it just has to happen and now they've done that and to get that out of the way before qualifying so you don't have to deal with it during qualifying I think is super important so that was the biggest takeaway from me and you know obviously I had some thoughts on certain players and um things like that but that was the biggest one
2: well that was my that's my next question to you because I know you have a take on a player with that I actually agree with I think I think you think it's kind of a spicy take I don't think it's that hot of a take only because i Agree with it, I guess. So, like, if, if you, if you and I agree not on it. I'm
1: really quite sure. Well, Are you ask talking you about Aronson? Question,
2: no, my, my, no, well, that, that one I don't agree with, but what I agree with is, <laughs> you know, you have, I don't a player even know what you you're believe. talking about. <laughs> well, let me ask the question and stop interrupting me, Sam cool The question <laughs> I have for you, Sam, is who is the most irreplaceable player on this national team? Uh, Tyler Adams. This isn't a hot take. It's fairly obvious, no? I thought you kind of pitched it in Slack as kind of a hot take with our editor. So I was trying to set you up here. But, you know, you did not take it (sighs) to set up in in any form or fashion. You're
1: projecting tone onto me, okay? There's There's no hot take font in Slack, all right? So quit your projections, Paul. Um, <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think it's that hot of a take. I mean, you saw it in the friendly and admittedly it's a friendly that was not Costa Rica's A team. That backline would be a bad, bad, bad MLS backline if it were to play an MLS together as a unit. So it wasn't like they were cutting up some, you know, cutting up France out there, but just the way he moves right the the positions that he puts himself in, his ability to cover a ton of ground and put out fires everywhere um his confidence it gets transmitted to the other players uh it makes everything run smoother, and he makes everything everything around every everyone around him better and I don't really think that four three three that Burhalter likes to play works without a really really good number six, and that's what Adams can be. So, and, and I don't think there's anyone else in the pool that can be that. Um, so, I think without him, you're just operating at like, I don't even know, 50% capacity, 75% capacity. You can't get near your best if you don't have him. Yeah.
2: I mean, for me, man, I, I look at him and I look at the drop off from him to the next six and I say to myself, I, yeah. I, I really think that there has to be a moment in time where we see Weston and McKinney play the six. Because I think the next best option I just made a Weston McKennie face. You did. You made a Weston McKennie face when someone starts asking a question in Spanish or in Italian. No, I just think they're, you know, with how the fullbacks like to play in the system, the amount of work that the number six has to do. I, I, I just think that Weston is the close, the next closest to Tyler's ability in that position. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm crazy, but I think there's ways to do it where there, where that's the least amount of drop off. Like if Tyler Adams is unavailable, you play Weston at the six, you play Musa and Aronson in front of him with Pulisic and Rain on the wings. And I think you don't lose as much, or you play Christian and, and Musa inside and you play Aronson. I was going to say, wing. I think, I either think way. I would
1: put Christian inside in that scenario. Yeah. Either Just way, you know, I gone. think you
2: lose yeah. less than if you do kind of a like for like sub and play. Yule or Acosta there. I know a lot of people really liked what Kellen brought in the Mexico game. I think he was okay. I mean I thought Weston McKenney was in, was fantastic and, and maybe that's the argument against that move. In the
1: second in the second half. Yeah. I I,
2: but I think that's the Fair. argument against my my suggestion in that when Weston's really, really good the way he was in the second half an extra time against Mexico, he changes the game drastically with his ability to um, arrive in the box and, and create problems on set pieces and all that. I, I mean, he
1: can still do it on set pieces of the six. But I don't know. That's just a, a No, but to, I to, to apply pressure higher on the field when the, when the opponent has yeah, the ball. Yeah, sure. I, I would say what what concerns me a lot about Weston as a single six is that sometimes he gets overly aggressive and sometimes he switches off a little bit. And you can't do that in that position because if you do, right, then there's a huge gap Behind you, and then you can get exposed. Right. And so that concerns me with Weston in that spot. Now, he's a young player, right? He's playing in a super tactical league on a very high level team. I think he can get better at that stuff. And yeah, I think he probably think has gotten be... better at that stuff over the last year. You just but try right now, it. I'm not super comfortable with it. Just try. Yeah. It. I mean, maybe, M- maybe, maybe, maybe someone else develops. Who knows? Right. Like, I'm, I'm probably not to that extent, but I don't know. James Sands does some nice things. What am I talking about? He's not going to be on the senior team anytime soon. They didn't even put him on the U23s. Um although he could get a look for Gold Cup perhaps. Philadelphia's Leon Flock. Flock of Seagulls. Killing it. Um he covers a ton of ground. I mean, it's it's but again, there it's Is that a teaser? A wide gap they call there.
2: that a teaser. <laughs>
1: Yeah, they call that a teaser. Stay tuned, folks. Um, <laughs> I spoke with Leon Flock today. I'll be writing a story on him soon. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, so I, I don't know. You're right about the drop-off though, right? Because you look at the wingers, right? And and that would be the next place you go. It's like, well, no, Pulisic's the most important. He just won the Champions League, right? But you look at the other wingers. You have Gio Reyna. You have Brendan Aronson. You have Tim Weah. Brendan Aronson and Tim Weah were great against Costa Rica, Really good. Really fun. They stretched the fields and field in ways that Pulisic and, and Reyna did not, um, when they were playing. Um, uh, they were exciting. Again, different opponent, right? Different kind of game. Um, but I'm like, you talk about depth. That is that the US's deepest spot, the wing right now?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think so. I mean, even if you think about like, Way down the line into 2022, you know, what will Jordan Morris look like when he comes back from injury again? A second ACL will yeah. he, will he get back in the mix? Paul Ariola, when he's healthy, will he be back into the mix? I'm guessing we'll see him at the gold cup. You know, I think Brendan Aronson has been the biggest revelation for the U.S. national team over the, over the course of the last year. I think Brendan Aronson is the player who's given Greg Burhalter the biggest kind of sense of relief. Because we know there has to be heavy rotation in September, October, January, and March because there are going to be three games in those cycles. And so, you know, you're going to have to put Christian Pulisic on the bench at some point. And Brendan Aronson allows you to do that. He's been very good. Maybe. Um, and
1: I, I think you do. Yeah, I think these you guys have to are, rest They these can guys. play three games in a week. It's
2: not just that. It's you're, you're playing four games, you know, you're playing that last club game, but it's also, the maybe for Belisic, maybe not. Right? There's the schedule congestion overall in Europe. There's the fact that this is not just once and you know one window in a month. It's no, you're, you're two, right, you're right, two you're of these right. windows back to back. So yeah. there's going to have. My point being that you don't have to worry about it as much if you are at home against Curacao, which I think is a good team. I'm not trying to or Saint Kitts and Nevis or something like that. Then yeah, that might be the moment where you tell Brendan Aronson to go out there and play the way you played against Costa Rica. You know, be aggressive, be, and and he's been really good. I I think there's a lot of faith. I think he could be a starter on this team. I really do. You know, if he didn't have Christian Pulisic and Gio Reyna there. Um, so I just, I I think he's added a really nice weapon off the bench for the U.S. men's national team and a really good option in this very congested qualifying. I don't hate
1: the idea of moving Christian inside. And popping Aronson out on dual wing, I don't hate it. I mean, they did it in Me- against Mexico in the second half.
2: You know, when they were, we see now both Concacaf teams in the Nations League man marked Christian. They assigned a player to follow Christian Pulisic around, and when they moved him inside, I think it got a little bit tougher to do some of the things that they wanted to do to to slow Christian down. Usually it's the opposite. I, I think a lot of times they want Christian out on the wing to get him isolated 1v1. But when he starts to get lost in the game a little bit, they brought him inside, he found the ball more, and he finally had that moment where he turned, he took the ball, he turned, he beat two defenders in the box, got fouled. Yeah, and, and it's not like...
1: Kick. So they have the option to do it's it. It's not like he plays as an out-and-out winger for Chelsea either, right? He does play in wide areas, but the difference is with Chelsea he's got... You know, when you talk about the center midfielders behind him, right, you got Mason Mount pulling some strings, you got N'Golo Conte, right, you got Jorginho, right? Like, you have guys that he's not the focal point of every opposing team's defense, like he is with the US. And so I think he's going to want to naturally come more inside and get on the ball when he's with the Americans compared to when he's at when he's at Chelsea. And, and I think that would... Allow you to do that. He can pull some strings in the midfield. He has that in his game for sure. So I don't know. I think it's a discussion worth having. I do have another question for you. What is up with Yunus Musa? Because this guy, he showed it yesterday. He's so good, really, maybe the best in the pool at this, at his position, at getting on the ball in the midfield and getting out of a tight space and progressing with the ball on the dribble, right? He's really good at that. And of course, there are areas he needs to improve in his game. He's 18. Right, But you see that and you're like, this is the guy that didn't play in the Nations League matches. And is he captied? Is he not captied? No one really seems to know. I don't think he is, but U.S. soccer might have a different opinion. But, you know, Berhalter talked about it a little bit, Paul, and I'm sure you'll touch on that. But why do you think he didn't see any, any run in the, in the actual official games? I
2: don't know whether or not, um, you know, he's tied. I mean, it's it's that simple. Um, I think that there is a debate. I mean, you know, right now as we're recording it, there's a debate happening, you know, Jeff Carlisle reporting that he's not captied. Taylor Twelman, who reported on the broadcast that he is saying, you know, have we looked at, let's take a second look at these rules. Maybe you he got some cap-tied. ESPN on ESPN. If he's Crown not there,
1: captied. Got to be careful. <laughs> yeah,
2: I mean, if, if he is captied, I think, you know, I don't have a good answer for why he didn't play. You know, I think he's young, and you know he didn't play a ton towards the end of the season with Valencia. Maybe he wasn't as fit as they hoped he would be. Uh, but I still think you try to get him in the game and get him some some run. If he's not cap tied, then my conspiracy theory. And I don't have. I have to be careful when I do this stuff because I'm a reporter who covers the national team. But like I would say so that maybe on. he said. Hold on. I'm,
1: i am Let me let me just make sure you're clear. This is reckless speculation time with Paul Tenorio.
2: This is reckless this is reckless speculation time with Paul Tenorial. Only done on allocation disorder. No, if he's not cap tied, maybe he just wants a little bit more time before he's cap tied. I don't know. Um but Greg Berhalter seemed pretty calm about it, right? He seemed pretty chill. He was like, look, we didn't get him into that game. We he played against Switzerland. He played against Costa Rica. He looked good in both of those games. He's got a big role to play for this national team going forward. I wouldn't stress about it too much, but I do think it's odd. Yeah. That he didn't play in the nation.
1: I think it's fair to look at it and raise an eyebrow for sure. Um, You know, that being said, he's posting pictures of himself cuddling with the trophy in the locker room after the Mexico game. And, you know, they released like a five minute video or whatever that he was committed to the U S and, but, you know, he's 18. It's like the same age that college football and basketball recruits are committing and decommitting, <laughs> doing all of their videos with puppies and hats and fireworks and, you know, duffel bags filled with million dollars. Oh, wait, that, that was Inter... No, wait, inner miami or SEC? That should be a segment on next week's show. Inter-Miami or SEC football? Um I don't even know where I was going. I don't think U.S. Soccer is concerned about Yunus Musa leaving the program. <laughs> I'm not trying to say that they are. Um, but it was interesting that he didn't play, for sure. Uh, any Anything else really stick out to you from these games, good or bad?
2: Yeah. I mean, my last thing is that the Mexico game just got me really excited to have games with stakes again. Yes. It's been a really rough go. I think if you think about what this team has gone through since the failure for the qualification, they spent a year under an interim manager. Then their first year under burhalter started to, to build that transition, right? They went through the gold cup. I think that gold cup was a very, a moment where that transition really started. And then they go into 2020 and, and COVID hits and you have barely any games in 2020, all friendlies, all against teams from your region and neutral sites with no fans because it's impossible to get a game against European teams. And there's all this sorts of qualifying and stuff that's happening. Same, even in this year with 2021, And finally, you play a game with stakes and God, man, it felt so different and it felt so much more fun. And it was it was just it was great. And so it just gets me really, really excited for what we're going to see come.
1: For sure. Totally agree with that. I want to shout out a few things. Ethan Horvath, incredible against Mexico. Hopefully he made hopefully he got himself a move with that game. Right. Or hopefully he helped get himself a move with that game because I am a little concerned when your top two goalkeepers on the depth chart aren't starting at their clubs. That's not great in my opinion. Um, and in Horvath and Stefan. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see what, go, what happens there, but he was awesome.
2: Yeah. Quickly, Sam, I actually heard a possibility well, about that. So after this show, you wow. and I to talk? God, that's Whoa. a teaser right there.
1: <laughs> man, I'm intrigued. I want to get this phone call. Listeners, you can't get it. I'm sorry. Um, so he was good. Serginio Dest was concerning. Ooh, man. Um, you know, guys are going to have off games from time to time. That's fine. What really concerned me with Dest, and particularly, I feel like this was against Switzerland, and correct me if I'm wrong, because all these, so many games in such a short span, are they're kind of bleeding together. When he would get caught up field and Switzerland would counter, he was just like jogging back, like not a care in the world. And if I am a defender on that U.S. team and I see my my wing back doing that or my outside back doing that, I'm like, what the hell, dude? What are you doing? Like, get back. This is your job. Hustle like that's uh, maybe that's reductive and silly, but like it was I thought it was ridiculous, man. So that was a little bit of a concern for me, and his his yeah, defending in general
2: it's problematic, especially if Tyler Adams his defending is a in general that's, is, that's when it gets is really tough.
1: a little bit worrisome. But um, obviously, he's a very good player. Uh, and then I think you know the second center back spot next to John Brooks is very much an open race right now, uh, and the striker position too. Not I was not really that impressed by Josh Sargent. Got to say, I know he puts in a shift. He works hard um he's really honest he makes himself available he can combine a little bit but the finishing hasn't been there and hopefully he can find it and find a transfer to a to a team in a top flight after Bremen went down and a team that will get him more opportunities but that position is wide open for the taking right now for pretty much whoever wants it hopefully someone takes it right my concern is that no one's actually going to step up and claim it but we'll see
2: yeah. I mean, I thought DK was the most impressive, but that's tough because he played in the game that was the least amount of energy and the slowest pace and all of that. But uh definitely, definitely to me, the biggest area of concern going into qualifying, who's going to be the striker that is ready by 2022? If they can get to the World Cup, who's going to be the guy? Yes. That's gonna score the yes. Games.
1: If they can get to a World Cup, which is not something we should take for granted. And we will not from here on out. Um We don't take you for granted either, listeners. Thanks for sticking with us through the entire show. Hopefully you enjoyed it. We had a good time. This has been Allocation Disorder. I am Sam. He is Paul. Until next week.